You're listening to the Private Practice Workshop Podcast. I'm your host, John Clark, helping you get more clients, make more money, and master private practice. And in this episode, we're talking about how to hire the right therapists to join your group counseling practice. Um, It's going to be a fun, action-packed episode. A quick call to action for you. Um, As I mentioned before, We've got spots open for our newest offering. It's called Purpose Driven Practice. It's a tight-knit mastermind community helping you not only grow a profitable, purpose-driven private practice, but also to live a life of success and significance. Uh, The group meets every single week for about an hour. It's a small group. Um, It's a small group experience. Um, There's going to be there's there's a lot of depth to the group. Um, We study a different uh, business book uh, or self improvement kind of book every single month. Um, So you'll get a book shipped to your doorstep that we'll study together. We'll run through questions uh, together every single week, and you'll get lots of um, basically supporting group coaching uh, from the group through your hot seats. The group also um, uh, includes an accountability tool to keep you accountable on the most important parts of your life and business, as well as culminates in a live event that's included in your membership. So um, pretty incredible, if not insane value, if you ask me. But again, uh, the group's not going to have openings for very long. So if you are interested, head to privatepracticeworkshop.com, scroll down, click on purpose-driven practice to apply. Uh, we're very selective about who we allow into the community, but submit your application, book the call with me, and then um, and we'll take the application process from there. So um, again, back to this episode, we're going to be talking about how to hire the right therapist to join your practice. It's another solo episode. You're going to walk away with my recruiting tips, especially for the early phases of recruiting, uh, some tips for the initial phone screening, tips for the the initial or the in-person interview, how to use uh, an, a free assessment to really help this process along, leveraging your current clinicians, the two kinds of hires that you should know about, how to give yourself an out, um, and the importance of onboarding. We're going to talk about all those things and more, um, but not until we do our quick listener shout out. This is a review from iTunes, Beanster4242, which is a killer name. Um, this person left a review on iTunes just like you should if you haven't already. <laughs> the show is free, so it's the least you could do. Um, this person says, I can always count on John to deliver sound business building advice each week on his podcast. His is the most accessible and relatable voice out there in the world of private practice coaching. That's extremely nice. His is a voice I've come to trust because he understands the most pressing questions therapists are asking about building a practice. The info of the podcast has helped me immensely in growing my practice and my income. Thanks, John. Well, you're oh, you're very welcome, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Beanster4242. I appreciate it a ton. And honestly, that's some of the kindest words I've heard in a long time. So it really does mean a lot to me. Honestly, I do. I work hard at this and um, that, that just means a lot to me. So, um, so there you have it, folks. If you haven't left your review, leave it now and I might read it on the show next week. Who knows? Um, but until then, and without further ado, let's dive in. All right, everybody, let's waste no time. Let's get right into it. So whether you're a current group practice owner or an aspiring group practice owner, or maybe just 
a solo practitioner um, who's in a group practice or just curious more uh, about learning more about the hiring process in general. Um, you could also be a solo practitioner who's thinking about hiring for your um, solo practice or hiring a virtual assistant for your solo practice. And in that case, these tips uh, will definitely apply to you as well. So at the end of the day, hiring is hiring. So um, yeah, something to think about when it comes to this particular episode. So let's start by talking about recruiting tips. Uh, recruiting or just uh, simply getting applicants is kind of your first step, right? So you want to have a process for collecting applications. I would recommend something automated like a Google form or something like that where you could send a link out and have people kind of submit their applications digitally along with, let's say, a resume or CV and also a cover letter. Um in the recruiting process, I like to try to have people think outside the box a little bit. So, you know, if you're having them write a cover letter, don't just have them write about like, oh, I worked at the hospital and then this agency and college counseling and I'm an LPC. Um, that's better left for a resume. That stuff's pretty obvious and should be left on the resume. Have them answer like a difficult theoretical question or a quandary or a, um, um, a, like a case vignette and say what they would do, something like that. I mean, I think the best, you know, hires I've had both clinically and otherwise have been when we start by, um, I guess doing a bit of a test, right? We start by kind of putting the person through a bit of a test, uh, or like a practice task, so to speak, this tends to really, really help, um, it just kind of enriches the process. Again, you get to see how people think right off the bat. Uh, but yeah, before especially before you waste any time with an interview or even a phone screen, etc. So um, in terms of getting applications, getting more people to your um, uh, to apply, I think you start with people who uh, who know you or who you know. Um, reach out to colleagues, um, current let current clinicians know that you're hiring. Um, if there's other group practice owners um, and whatnot, you can let them know. Um, I've also had some success in hiring um, uh, people right out of graduate school through talking to the um, uh, the local universities and whatnot, graduate programs. Um, and and honestly, I have just outright asked, who is your who's your best uh, student? Who's kind of the, the the star of the class or whatever the graduating class? And guess what? A lot of times they'll tell you, <laughs> or they'll say, well, I can't really tell you, but also it's this person or it's these two people. Um, and you could even reach out to those people or you could just say, can you have those people apply or show them this application or job description or whatever? Um, so I find in general, that's a good place to start out is your networks and through referral or even personal referral. Um, it also tends to mean that the person's not uh, going to be totally unreliable or a criminal or whatever in general. That's not to say you shouldn't still do your due diligence when it comes to uh, uh, screening, uh, checking their background, doing the background check, um, checking uh, um, uh, references and those things. You should obviously do all those kind of obvious things. Once you have enough uh, enough applicants, you know, uh, I, I would say if you're hiring for a clinician role, I would shoot to have as close to 10 applicants or more as possible. If you have less, I think it's okay. If you have eight or something or even five, I think it's okay. Um, it is a lot of work, but again, the more you have, the better decision you can make, the more informed decision you can make. Um, and perhaps you could even either hire two or hire one now and hire another later if you're going through kind of a recruiting cycle. So again, I know it's a lot of work, but if you make the right hire, it can really um, have tremendous impact in your business and on the future of your business. So um, 
I think out of those initial ones, so you have them submit the things that I just mentioned. And then from there, I think you reach out to them for an initial phone interview. In that initial phone interview, you know, I think you just throw them some questions, again, that are going to be a bit out of the box or get them thinking or thinking on their toes. Basically, you want to, I think, try to click people out of their canned responses, because I think if all you get, if all you offer is questions that keeps, allows people to stay in their canned responses, then, um, or predictable questions, then you're not going to really have a good sense of who that person is. And the reality is you can be anyone for an interview. It's just like the start of an, any new relationship. You can kind of be anyone until things get real and the honeymoon phase is over, so to speak. So again, ask, you know, a case vignette or what they would do if a client was in crisis or, you know, pitch them like an ambiguous situation. If a client is like somewhat suicidal, but not, or the client has feelings for you, what do you do or whatever? Like, again, I would kind of put them to the test here because if they're going to be working autonomously in your practice, then um, uh, you you really need to trust them. You need to know that they can, in general, make decisions day to day clinically and administratively uh, kind of on your your behalf because you can't afford to manage every single session they do or record every session they do and whatnot. So this initial um, recruiting and interviewing phase is profoundly important. I would say from the after the phone interviews, the next thing I would move into is um, let them know that they've been, they're advancing to the in-person interview, which is going to be a longer interview, um, a more formal interview. And when you let them know that, I would also send out what's called the DISC assessment. Now, there's probably a, a, a ton of like career and kind of professional assessments slash personality assessments like this. I'm no testing psychologist like my friend Jeremy Sharp. And if you're listening, what's up, dude? <laughs> and also, uh, call me soon because we haven't caught up in a while. Um, but also, anyway... Um, you want to do some sort of assessment. I think it's just a really good idea. So I've used what's called the DISC assessment or the d- DISC profile. Whoops, stuttered a little bit there. The the DISC profile. <laughs> I just almost did a little a little um, um, beatboxing there by accident. That happens. That's a that's what we call occupational hazard um, in the line of podcasting. Um, so the DISC assessment, it just really helps you get a personal and uh, kind of a personality slash professional uh, profile on the person so you can understand kind of how they operate, where their strengths are, where their some of their potential weaknesses are, um, how they should be supervised, you know, how to best supervise them, et cetera. Um, it's just really important, really useful information for them and for you. It's a really fun little tool. You can get it for free if you Google Tony Robbins disc assessment. He offers it for free for whatever reason. So the Tony Robbins disc assessment, uh, he offers it. I don't know why, but um, that's how you can find it. In this second interview, again, you're going to get to know this person with more depth, uh, have a new set of questions, a set of questions that probably goes deeper. And obviously, you're going to be using some of your clinical skills to, and your intuition to, to see to kind of ask yourself, could I see this person being a part of my business, my practice? Would they get along well with the others? Um, could I imagine, imagine myself, uh, for instance, having a beer with this person or a meal or playing a game with this person on a weekend? doesn't mean you have to do those things, but it's a good kind of thought exercise to think about. Um, um, uh, so you're not just focused on like their background or clinical skills or whatever. 
So I think, uh, again, during that, um, that interview, it's really important um, uh, to get a good feel for the person. I think it's also good to look for their weaknesses or look for potential like red flags or, um, again, if they seem too proud or egotistical or too insecure, you know, uh, not confident enough, then I think you need to look out for all those things. If they seem like they'd be hard to get along with or hard to work with others or whatever, I don't think you want that person in your practice either. So, you know, you have to look for the, the the good things in them, but I think more importantly, you really need to look for the potential kind of risks in, in hiring this person. They're probably more that's probably more important than looking for their strengths. This is a tricky one because I think as counselors, we're trained to look for strengths and to help people, help kind of amplify people's strengths. So I've always found this a really hard line to walk. Next tip is you you know help uh, help uh, recruit the help of your current clinicians. So especially if you have a clinician who's been around the longest and whatnot, have them join the interview with you. It always helps to have another set of eyes. But it's profoundly helpful. It shouldn't be just you doing all the interviewing. Ideally, even if you have like a VA or someone who knows your business pretty well, have them sit in, be another set of eyes because they're going to see something different than you for sure. Um. You could also have the, you know, your most seasoned clinician, like do the initial, all the initial interviewing or screening or whatnot, or, um, you know, a separate interview with them and whatnot. There's just a lot you can do. Um, you could do like a group interview where you have multiple candidates come in and meet with all of your clinicians and do kind of a group interview. I think, um, something like that's a really good idea. Again, your clinicians are going to have to work with this person too. So, um, you want to do your due diligence there and your clinicians are a real asset and resource for your, your practice. All right, moving right along, uh, two different kinds of a hire that I kind of conceptualized. I don't know where these are from or if, I don't know, I don't know where these are from, but the way I see it is two different kinds, uh, either a kind of a complementary hire or a parallel hire. Complementary hire is more like, uh, um, well, it's complementary rather than parallel. Um, if, if that makes sense. And maybe these aren't the perfect words for this, but complimentary hire would be kind of like, um, well, if you have a partner who's very complimentary to you, you're like really outgoing, they're more introverted, et cetera. If you have, you know, within your, your clinicians, uh, I don't know, an older male therapist who only works with couples or married couples, well, then a complimentary hire would be someone quite different. So a young, maybe a younger female clinician who does child therapy right, to add um, kind of some diversity in terms of your offerings for your practice. A lot of this also obviously depends on your market, your demographic, your marketing, your messaging, all that sort of thing. On the other hand, um, you could do a a parallel hire, uh, someone who's basically similar to who you have. So if you have an older male who does couples or, you know, married couples, then you could hire the same kind of hire if you know you kind of have volume and demand for that and that that really works and fits with your brand and vision. Etc. So you just want to be thinking about that at all times. Next, give yourself an out. So I really recommend having a probationary period for your clinicians because a lot can happen again in that that uh, honeymoon phase, so to speak. So you always want to give yourself an out. Um, you could do that with either like a thirty or sixty or even ninety day probationary period, where it basically says, "Yeah, this is a probationary period. Um, we'll." you know, be giving you clients, getting your caseload up, et cetera. But if this isn't a good fit, it gives both of us an out. Uh, I think this is extremely important. And a lot of bigger companies do this too, because again, you don't really know how this person is going to do until they've been with you for a few months and you don't want to be stuck with someone and then it's hard to fire them and whatnot. 
yeah, that's really important. I know I'm moving fast, but hey, why not? Um, the importance of onboarding. Okay, so onboarding is basically just how you orient the person to your practice. This is extremely important because um, their early experiences within your practice have everything to do with their longevity and happiness and their retention within your practice. So what I recommend is automating some parts of your onboarding process, like the parts that don't matter as much, like how to use the EHR or how to use simple practice or how to use the billing system, whatever. Automate those and create video screen shares that you could share with any new hire. I use Loom Video Recorder for that or Screen Share Recorder, L-O-O-M, Loom. It's like a Google Chrome plugin for that. That's uh, uh, super handy to have. So you automate as much of the onboarding process as you can, but then you let some of it be pretty high touch, you know, take your new clinician out to lunch or dinner, make them feel special, get them a gift. Um, You really want to go out of your way here to impress them early on. The other thing is you really really want to think about and communicate your mission, vision, and values early on and really harp on these things. So the way I look at it with mission, vision, and values is kind of like mission is the, the big impact that you want to have as a company. The vision is kind of how you're going to make that impact over the next uh, one to five to 10 years. And the values are the things that you believe as a, as a company um, that are going to help you stay on that path to um, carrying out your vision and accomplishing your mission. That's kind of the way I look at it. If you don't already have these things, and most a lot of group practice owners don't, uh, it's okay. You could just start now. You could just write them down on a Google Doc or wherever as best you can and you could share them with your team. It doesn't have to be fancy or like anything crazy early on, but you can, again, start with some of this stuff and it's really going to help create uh, more processes and more culture within your group practice. So um, there you have it, folks. I hope that was helpful. I kind of flew through it, but um, again, as to not waste any of your precious time or mine, there you have it. That's the content for the day. I hope this was helpful. Like I mentioned before, um, the biggest thing you should know about right now is the launch of our new program, uh, uh, Purpose Driven Practice, our new mastermind community, helping you build a profitable purpose-driven practice and also helping you live a life of success and significance. So new mastermind community coming up. We meet every single week on video. We have a book of the month every single month. We have accountability tools um, and everything culminates in a live in-person event. So you don't want to miss it. It's been uh, uh, it's a wonderful community and one that you definitely want to be a part of. So you can apply when you go to privatepracticeworkshop.com and scroll down and click on purpose-driven practice. Hope you enjoyed it, my friends. As always, um, if you haven't done so already, leave us a really nice five-star review uh, wherever you're listening. Share this episode or share uh, your favorite episode with a handful of uh, other therapists to help us get the word out. And otherwise, hope you have a really good week and look forward to seeing you real soon. All right, bye-bye.